Hello, everybody, and thank you for being with us on the Bridgehead Radio. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and I'm the Communications Director for the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform. And today I'm going to be sharing with you an interview that sort of continues the series I've been doing every other week for the last couple of weeks on inspiring figures throughout history and what they can tell us about the times we live in today, the lessons that we can learn from the past and lessons that we can put into play right here in our own culture. So the man I'll be interviewing today is Dr. Frank McDonough. He is a professor of international history in the School of Humanities and Social Science at Liverpool John Moores University. And he specializes in British history, international history, and the history of the Third Reich. Now, some time ago, he wrote a book that caught my eye on the shelf at Chapters, and it was called Sophie Scholl, The Real Story of the Woman Who Defied Hitler. Now, as we know, Sophie Scholl was a member of a resistance group in Nazi Germany. Herself and her brother and a number of other people distributed anti-Hitler, anti-Nazi pamphlets at their university. They were eventually captured and executed. So I reached Frank by phone in Britain to have a little chat about his book and about Sophie Scholl and about what Sophie Scholl has to teach us here today in the 21st century. So I really hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Uh, so yes, the first question I, I'd just like to ask you is, is you've, you've written this, this great book, uh, Sophie Scholl, The Real Woman, or The Real Story of the Woman Who Defied Hitler. Um, could you just sort of uh, briefly sum up what made you write this book? What was it that, that attracted you to the story of the White Rose? Well, it goes back really all the way to my childhood. When I was um, 12 years of age, I, I won a prize at school. And the prize was William Shirer's famous book, on the Third Reich mm -hmm. was called, you know, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Mm -hmm. Read this book, you know, I probably read it about, you know, because I won a prize. I read it about, you know, 12 times probably. I know every chapter and word in it. And then there was this little sort of paragraph about a small group in Munich. They'd, um, they'd printed these leaflets and they tried to distribute them. And this girl called Sophie Shaw was amongst the leadership, and they'd been found and they'd been uh, executed. I suppose as a young boy, I thought, God, this was amazing, you know, what, what, what was that about? So it stuck with me even then, it was kind of something that was in my mind. And then later on, I started to write a number of books, and then my publisher said, you know, would you like to write a book about, you know, what would you want to write next, you know, because I've written about a third right mainly. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'd mm -hmm. like to write a kind of accessible book about the opposition groups, because it seems to me an interesting topic. The reason being is I've been to the Museum of Resistance in Berlin, and it's very interesting. I thought, God, this is a really interesting story. Nobody in Britain knows about it. So I wrote this book. It was called Opposition and Resistance in the Third Reich. And then I got to the chapter about student protest. And again, I came back and thought, hang on, Sophie Shaw? I remember her. She was in that book that I won that prize in. Mm -hmm. So then I started to think, and then I sort of think, I must get, because I was writing a book, you know, obviously you need to read a lot of sources when you're writing a book. And this was a, this was a textbook for basically for 18-year-old kids, for students, really. And so I thought, you know, I need to get all the books on it. God, I must get a biography of Sophie Shaw. So I, I look up through all the, you know, through all the library indexes and all the rest, and I'm thinking, hang on a minute, there is no biography of Sophie Shaw? Why is there no biography of Sophie Shaw? It's a great story. And I thought, well, there's no biography of Sophie Shaw, 
because there's no sources, you know, she was only 22, 21, you know, she mm -hmm. was executed, um, you know, why would she have a story? She, she probably didn't keep a diary or, or her letters were probably burnt by the Nazis, if she had any. And so I thought, you know, if you want to write a biography about, about a person, it's best to write a biography, isn't it, of Queen Elizabeth II, you know. Right. You've got a whole life there, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You've got all the trips she went on, all of her letters and all of her meetings and etc. So I thought, you know, there's not really a story here. What is the story? Then what happened was, I kept this in my mind. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, one day I'm going to write a novel about this. Because obviously, you know, there's not a story there to write a biography. So I'll write a novel. When I retire, I thought, I'm going to write a novel, change all the names. And I'll write this novel and it'll, it'll be a bestseller and that'll be great, you know. Mm -hmm. But anyway, what happened was I travelled to Berlin quite a lot to do research on books. So anyway, we, my wife and I come out the airport and my wife said, look at that poster. And I, and I looked across and it was a film. It was called Sophie Shaw, The Last Days. And I thought to myself, oh God, someone's done it. Right. <laughs> you know, so done it. And the only thing I clung on to, I thought, hang on, it says, because I, you know, I, I said to myself, because um, I read German, I said, hang on, it says Sophie Shaw, The Last Days. It's just the last days of her life. So maybe there's a biography still to be written. You know, so I, I watched the film, and the film, have you seen the film? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's just about the last three days of her, last four days of her life. Mm -hmm. The arrest at Munich University to the execution. And, you know, the interrogation between her and the Gestapo interrogator, Robert Moore, features really heavily in, in this film. Mm -hmm. So I thought, hang on a minute. This film doesn't really tell the story about who she is. Because if you watch the film, she comes across as a rather intense figure, very cerebral, very sort of academic, you know, battling with this Gestapo officer who sort of builds up a kind of sympathy for her, doesn't he, over the days. And he even comes, as she's getting executed, he even comes to the prison, doesn't he, and sort of, you know, you can see him looking as if to say, God, this is an injustice that you are getting executed. And so she was a little bit of a kind of Joan of Arc figure, I thought, in that film. So I thought, you know, there still is a story here. You know, there is no English language biography of Sophie Scholl. There's only one German biography which was written, and that wasn't based on any sources. So anyway, the film comes out, because I write a lot of books on the Third Reich in Britain, I'm quite well known, um, the BBC asked me to, um, you know, comment on this film on, on a very high-profile BBC programme, and I met the director of the film. A couple of days later, a guy phones me and he says, hey, would you like to write a biography of Sophie Shaw? <laughs> so that was how it started. Yeah, oh, wonderful. So what, in your view, uh, made the story of the White Rose so exceptional? Because you, you say many times, uh, both in your book and in your inaugural lecture, that there were so many things that made this, this group of student protesters unique. I think it appealed to me because... I, you know, I'm, you know, for your listeners here, I'm from Liverpool, which probably in Canada means the Beatles, mm -hmm. you know, or the football team. It probably means the Beatles, I would think, you know, given that, 
John Lennon came over there and I think he performed Give Peace a Chance, didn't he, in, um, in Toronto, I think. I believe so, yes. Yeah, so I mean, you know, so Canada's got some links with Liverpool in that way. So, you know, that was the kind of impetus for it. It was to say, you know, who was this group? You know, how can I write this story about the White Rose? So I, I just thought of it like that, you know, is there a story here? And I didn't know there was a story there. I think what fascinated me was this idea that Sophie Shaw was... was I'm not saying she was like me, because we'd all like to be a great heroic figure who fights Hitler and defies him, but I don't think we, we would be that kind of person, really. What I sort of took from this story was, I wanted to go to university, right? So I sort of saw in her story this desire to go to university to say, you know, I want to do something exceptional. I want to better myself. You know, I want to sort of, you know, get out of Liverpool and and go to this university. In my mind, it was like, you know, I want to go to Oxford. You know, that was my sort of dream. Mm -hmm. You know, because mm -hmm. Oxford and Cambridge are the kind of sort of dreams of a, of a person who's at school. Now, that was my dream. Now, in the same way as her, I fought for my dream. In other words, I worked hard. Like I said, I was at school. I was working hard. I was trying to get to this dream of going to Oxford or Cambridge. Now, I did go to Oxford, so I fulfilled my dream. But there was no obstacles to that. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I went to a, a nice school. It was a grammar school. And if you did well in that school, you, would, you could go to Oxford or Cambridge. But she sort of was was a woman in the Third Reich. Hitler didn't like the idea of women being intellectuals or going to university. He made it hard for them to go to university. So she had to fight, really, really fight to go to university. So I identified with that to begin with mm -hmm. more than anything. You know, that idea of her saying, you know, look, I am going to go to university, whatever happens. So I identify with that. And of course, you, you take yourself back to when you, you went to college and you sort of think of yourself like in a group. We've all been in a group at college or school and this peer group. And I just thought, you know, mostly my peer group at college and school were all saying, you know, let's have a party, let's get drunk and let's go out with each other. But, you know, these people were saying, you know, let's fight this regime so it was not really something that I'd done you know it wasn't something that I'd done so I sort of I do identify with these people who are heroic because I'm probably not that heroic with myself and I'm sure that your listeners are like me they're more like me than like you know Joan of Arc and mm -hmm. the and Martin Luther King so we we watch these people on the television and we sort of say how the hell did they do that so I just sort of started with that premise how the hell did she do it? And, and I thought, this is a great story. I thought, if I can't tell this story well, then I, I might as well give up. But at the time I started, you see, I didn't know there was a story. There was all, it all sort of unfolded to me as it developed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You mentioned, you mentioned a number of times, both in the, in the book and in your lecture, that... One of the things that sort of uh, made the White Rose exceptional was that the leaflets they distributed really had some of the very first German exposés of what the Nazis were doing um, in occupied territory, the, the, what they were doing to the Jews, what they were doing in Poland. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yes, I think the White Rose is significant because one of their leaflets mentions that 
Jews are being killed in Poland systematically. Now, we can't find any other leaflet, even by the communists who really would like to portray this kind of idea of the Nazis as genocidal. But the, it was the White Rose that did this. They published this leaflet showing that the Nazis were killing Jews. They said 300,000. That was a great underestimate. But at least they put it out there amongst the German people that this was happening. So that's quite significant. That probably gives them an historical significance beyond the rest of the things they did. Because it sort of says, look, we told you, all of you people, you know, the leaflet that says that was probably distributed to maybe 50,000 people read that leaflet. So the Germans who say, oh, you know, we knew nothing about the Holocaust, well, 50,000 people knew about it. Mm -hmm. And we know that people spread things, don't we, by word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Especially then in the 1930s, news was spread like word of mouth. It wasn't like your radio station or satellite television or 24-hour news. You know, we all know what's going on. We know what's going on in places that we didn't even know when we were children now. Mm -hmm. This was what was significant, I think, about the White Rose. That gives them an historical importance beyond what they did because when you think about it, what they did while they existed didn't make any difference to the Nazi regime. The Nazi regime actually made them an example you know, they killed them, they executed them brutally mm -hmm. by guillotine. So at the time, these people didn't have any resonance in Germany. In fact, they were made scapegoats for the defeat at Stalingrad. Remember, Bichol mm -hmm. is killed on the 18th of, um, the um, 22nd of um, February, 1943. That's only about two weeks after Stalingrad. So they are made a scapegoat or the defeat at Stalingrad. Mm -hmm. So at the time in Germany, people around Germany are saying, yes, they're getting punished, they're opponents of our great Wehrmacht and all the rest of it. So if you're in Germany at the time, you're probably cheering in the beer hall or you're cheering that Sophie Scholl's been killed. What's significant about Sophie Scholl is that it's not what she did when she was alive that matters to me. It's what she did that resonates now that matters. In other words, they killed her, but we can take from that death something life-affirming. In other words, we can say, look, this young woman was killed. She was an ordinary person. She was vilified at the time, but we can take that bravery and we can take it now as an example for today and for what we do against injustice in the world. Mm -hmm. That's why it's an important story. It's mm -hmm. a story for you and for me and for you and everyone. It's a story to say, look, you know, if there's a terrible injustice going on in the world, you know, we should stand up and fight against that. You know, that's, that's, that's what we should take from this. Mm -hmm. You know, if we see some terrible injustice around the world, we should say, look, we've got to stop this, right? Because mm. that's what Sophie Shaw would have done. Right, right. Uh, speaking of, of courage and bravery, you mentioned, um, especially in your inaugural lecture, that of all the members of the White Rose, Hans and Sophie Shaw, of course, being the famous, but there was, there was a man that most of us haven't heard of, and I, I have to admit, I wasn't familiar with his story either in, in, until I learned it from you, Willie Graff. Willie Graff, a member of the White Rose who, who held on for six months after after the shows yeah. uh, were already executed, tell us a little about him. 
Willy Graf was, was a Catholic. He, he was never a member of the Hitler Youth. He participated in, in anti-Hitler groups in the 1930s, and he was arrested for that. And he was a really a devout Catholic. Willy Graf's story is very, very emotional and poignant because he was the kind of guy who, he was at university, but he didn't have a lot of friends. You know, we've all been there, you know, we've all been quite shy. Willy Graf was a shy man. He didn't really have an agenda. He didn't like the Nazis. And he was attracted to these people. You know, Hans and Sophie Scholl and that group were attractive people. And he sort of was attracted to them. And he got drawn into the White Rose. He didn't do anything significant in terms of, you know, writing the leaflets or even distributing the leaflets. But he did try to make the White Rose more prominent in the... In the um, in the Roland, you know, in the uh, in that region, mm -hmm. so he actually, you know, tried to uh, get people involved in that area, you know, around the Ruhr, you know, that area, um, you know, Cologne and all that, you know, the Rhineland, if you like. And so, um, Willie Graf, I think, you know, was a devout man, and what he what he did in the White Rose was. He was really, really clever because when they started to interrogate them all, he just stonewalled every single question from the Gestapo, skilled interrogators. And he wouldn't really, you know, give any names away of, of people who were involved in the White Rose. He denied that he was in the White Rose, but for some reason, the Gestapo thought that Willy Graf was the leader of the White Rose. They thought, this guy is so clever, he's run rings around us in this interrogation. And so they decided to keep him on death row for like six months. And they kept on and on giving these daily interrogations. And in the end, he just gave in. You know, after six months of this brutal interrogation, he said, look, you know, uh, yeah, I was involved with them, you know, and he decided to accept execution. What's so poignant about him is that the night before he's executed, he writes a letter to his parents, and it's in the record, it's in my book, I put it in the, at the end of mm -hmm. the book, and he writes to his parents this absolutely emotional letter. I mean, you only have to read it. I, I even get emotional thinking about what he says in this letter. And he writes to me, you know, dear mom and dad, and he says, you know, you know I want you to realize, you know, I'm gonna die tomorrow. But I'm going to die for a purpose. I'm going to die for a reason. I'm going to die fighting the Nazis. It's it's so emotional that I even get you know I even get filled up now thinking about it mm -hmm. because you know it's it's just such an emotional letter. And you think God and, and his parents they 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 sort of said later on they said you know when they read this letter they thought. You know, what an amazing man. And I think that these were exceptional people, you know. You know, it wasn't just Sophie and Hans Scholl. It was also Willy Graf. It was Alexander Schmerel. It was also Kurt Huber. He was the lecturer. Now, you know, the, I'm, a, I'm obviously a professor at a university. And the, the, there's a kind of, you know, there's a kind of list of things he shouldn't do. And I, I know, you know, 20 years ago, we all went down had a drink with the students, but now it's like, you have a list of things that you can't do. Now, professors are not, or lecturers are not supposed to even buy students drinks, you know. You have to say, you record it, you know, now. 
you know. Yeah. So, but Kurt Huber was, you know, he was the kind of guy who he he, he messes talented students and he went for a drink with them. That used to happen 20 years ago. It doesn't happen now because of all these health and safety regulations and, you know, etc., mm -hmm. uh, etc. Et but he was that kind of guy. He was a popular lecturer. The students loved him and they wanted to meet him and go for a drink with him. Mm -hmm. Now, some people would say, you know, never go for a drink with your students because because he went for a drink with his students, he got implicated with the White Rose and he wrote a leaflet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for the white bows. Interestingly, it was the leaflet that was aimed at students. So he was a lecturer, a professor, writing this leaflet that was aimed at students. And it was quite brilliant. It was fantastic. So you've got that kind of idea. It's a lecturer and a group of students who are fighting against the Nazis. And I think, you know, I think we can all identify with that. That was why I got out of this story. It was a very human story. It was a very very much a story that we could all sort of identify with, really. And these people, I mean, they were exceptional. I said that about Willie Graff. You raised that issue about him. But, I mean, that, he's an exceptional guy. You know, you read his letter, it's, it's almost like the Sermon on the Mount or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He, um, you, speaking of, of the human aspect of the story, because you, you emphasize that, that all of them sort of sort of chose chose death as in essence especially Sophie Schull who 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 chose to die with her brother um what happened this is a story that that you address several uh, several points and and most other people don't is what happened to the Schull family after after Hans and Sophie were executed i know that her younger sister eventually uh, married married her long-term boyfriend what happened to the Schull family after Hans and Sophie when you look at the Scholl family afterwards, I mean, obviously Hans and Sophie were, were executed. Um, Werner Scholl, he was the brother, he was killed on the Eastern Front mm -hmm. in the uh, Second World War. In fact, he was sent to the Eastern Front after Hans and Scho Sophie were killed in 1943. And when you think, they were already defeated at Stalingrad. So that was a death sentence in itself. Um, and who was left? Elizabeth. She was another, she was the, the survivor. And Inga, these were the two daughters, right? You know, Elizabeth survived, as you said, she married Fritz Hartnagel, who was Sophie's boyfriend. I suppose they clung together, you know, they were very obviously devastated by that. The mother died, she was brokenhearted. I mean, think about it, she lost three children in the war. Mm -hmm. I mean, she died of a broken heart in 1945. Robert Shaw who was the father, he'd been the mayor of a small town called Forktenberg, uh, which is in the south of Germany, it's sort of, you know, it's like Bavaria. He actually came back and became the mayor of Ulm, where Sophie Scholl lived. He became the mayor of that town after the war. Inga Scholl, I suppose she became... I suppose you could equate her with someone like Yoko Ono. She, Yoko is the kind of benefactor of John Lennon's legacy. Now, Inga became the benefactor of Sophie's legacy. The Americans gave her a million dollars to found an educational establishment in that town, which actually still exists. And so Inga was the person who sort of preserved the Shaw memory. Almost a curator. She was a curator, and, you know, like Yoko, she comes under criticism for giving a kind of squeaky clean. This is another aspect that has been said about the Scholls, that 
they've been sort of venerated in Germany as the good Germans. Mm -hmm. But we haven't got many good Germans. We've only got, you know, Oscar Schindler. <laughs> and we've got, you know... Um, Stauffenberg and... Stauffenberg, who, who, who tried to kill Hitler. And so the Scholls come into that category. You know, they were, they were good Germans. But obviously people would sort of question Inga. Because ironically, Inga was quite a fervent anti-pro-Nazi anti, uh, while she was in the Third Reich. And I suppose this was kind of repentance for her sins, really, because Sophie and Hans never told Inga what was going on in the White Rose. Because she was still given the Nazi salute when she met them on holiday. She was still involved in the Hitler Youth mm -hmm. all the way through her life. So she remained a kind of fervent Nazi. But I suppose, you know, people say, oh, she's a phony. You know, she, she took this million dollars from the uh, Americans and, uh, you know, she tried to repent her sins. Well, you know, what's wrong, you know? What's wrong with repenting your sins? Right, <laughs> right. So just one final question for our viewers. The, the story of, of the White Rose and Sophie Schoen, and, and you sort of you referenced it earlier, but what do you think we should take away from, from their story today? Because you clearly think it's, it's a very, very relevant story to today. That's why you, that's why you wrote this, this biography. So what do you think our viewers should take away from the story? I think really what we should take away from this story is that, you know, there are issues in the world and there are terrible things going on. And that really, you know, Sophie's idea was that we should look at these issues and we, we should protest against them. Now, I want to make the point here quite fervently to your viewers. She wanted to protest non-violently. Mm -hmm. That was the essence of the White Rose. Mm -hmm. But she was in the tradition of Gandhi and of Martin Luther King. So if Sophie Shaw was around today, she wouldn't be saying a bomb Syria, right? Mm -hmm. Right. We'll be saying, you know, let's have some, some massive civic protest against chemical weapons, yeah? Mm -hmm. But not actually to take violent action. So she's in the tradition of non-violence, yeah? So we, mm -hmm. we, we protest, but we protest through writing and through, you know, through demonstrations. And that's the way, the way that we go forward. So I think that that's my view of Sophie Scholl. If she was here today, she would be saying, you know, we don't want to bomb Syria, but at the same time, we don't want chemical weapons to be used against people. So we need to mount some kind of protest. And what that protest is, she would find a way. It may be that we drop leaflets on Syria and we tell the people like she would have done, yeah? But some kind of form of non-violence on that day. I don't know what we can do in a non-violent way to do that. But, you know, John mm -hmm. Lennon, you know, people say, oh, you know, his bedding for peace was, was stupid and all the rest of it. But I tend to think, you know, the non-violent Gandhi, you know, Gandhi made the point, you know, Gandhi said, you know, if we actually, you know, if we sit down all, all together in India and we refuse to cooperate with the British, they will leave because they can't fulfill what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe that's the way for, forward. Mm -hmm. You know, people have just got to go out, sit down in the street and, and, and stop the traffic or something. I don't know. I'm not a politician. I'm a historian. Historians only know about the past. They don't know about the present and they don't know about the future. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what the solution is. All I know is 
this is a fantastic example of non-violent civic protest in the tradition of Martin Luther King and Gandhi. And I would love Sophie Shaw to be up there with Martin Luther King and Gandhi because I think her story is fantastic. And if you read about it, as you've done, you will see what I see in it. It's a, it's a fantastic, life-affirming story, and that's what I would say. Read about Sophie Shaw, read about Gandhi, read about Martin Luther King, and you'll understand, you know, violence, you know, as John Lennon said, violence begets violence, you know, and we've got to try and find a way from violence to, to get people in the world to somehow stop these people from doing these terrible things in the world. I don't know the answer. As I said, all I can explain is the past and evil in the past. I can't tell you how we can stop the present. Yeah, that would be my sort of um, final observation. <laughs>